0: Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy Podcast, Conversations about Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Rick Perez as founder and CEO of a Vanguard Innovative Rick drives the overall strategic vision of this diverse company, the largest waste and recycling company in the Americas. Rick's primary focus is on transforming the waste and recycling industry. Welcome to the podcast, Rick. I'm delighted to have you here.
1: Ursula, it's a pleasure and thank you for having me.
0: Um, My pleasure. So, You made a bold statement in a publication. I saw a quote from you recently. There is no reason whatsoever for even one pound of good sorted plastic to go into any landfill or ocean. So it's pretty, pretty broad and far reaching statement. Tell us more about that.
1: Well, I truly believe that, Uh, you know, you think about anything that's made from a virgin uh, plastic that came from raw materials. Uh, the, the answer is we can't capture it, we can't recycle it, we can't reuse it. Um, and I think that is really our mission as avant Innovative, to always find a way, right? That's actually part of our, of our uh, credo is find a way to win. And, and you know, obviously the biggest challenges in, the, in our space is sustainability, recycling spaces, is the ability to capture it. Um, you know the the really the main focus needs to be in infrastructure, the technologies to process it. They're there. We're currently, you know, we we built we built the largest facility for post consumer resin for flexible packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is all the over overwrap, cleaner bags, all of that. Um, you know, the air, right now we got six pack carrier rings. You name it, we could take it the Amazon air air air, air era. Um, uh, packs inside the answer is how do you capture it Mm -hmm. and we're working with retailers we're working with brand owners and making and and having them either mail it to our facilities or drop off the front of the stores to be able to capture that because Mm -hmm. what's happening is most basic uh, um, plastics as everybody knows how to recycle will be your your Rigids, your which would be your Coke bottles and, and, and Pepsi and water bottles. That's easier to recycle. And we started the largest plant in the world a long time ago to process that. Right. But once you start to get into the harder plastics, uh, it becomes a little bit harder. So yeah, we, are, th- we believe that there's, there's a solution for everything. So we, we really, truly are passionate about that.
0: Yeah. I know you talked about um, there being uh, a lack of perhaps a lack of will but or a lack of, of funding available to pursue a lot of recycling of a lot of different plastic products where there tends to be a movement towards let's cover off the most basic, the ones that are most affordable, where the machinery is most affordable. Is that what you, you still see that or has there been a rise in interest in in more broadly recycling?
1: Well, I think the answer is very simple, right? You got to remember where the capital markets go. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, look, we we, we try to overcomplicate the problem. The problem is, is where are people going to get return on capital in the large scale? Um, So the bigger funds, the bigger pension funds, the bigger hedge funds, where were you going to put capital? And I think one of the major issues and merger hurdles that recycling always dealt with that it's considered an inferior product to go into a high-end product right and, and what we decided to do is like well we don't believe that we're going to make the best and the highest quality post-consumer resin that goes back to the highest products and we were very successful to do that in our mature pcr plant and and really that's what it's going to take so instead of fighting it uh you know we did a strategic alliance with the largest flexible packaging company in the world, which is the producer, which is Dow Chemical. And mm-hmm. Dow came out and said, you guys make the best PCR in the world. We're going to work with you. They help with our technology. And they realized that together, the environmental impact and the ability to tell the story and be able to buy as a consumer and feel good about it, it's combined. Uh, We can't do it alone because we're too small in the scale of the, you know, the demand for it worldwide, And, but we can definitely help them make sure it gets captured correctly, gets processed correctly, gets blended in with their product and it goes back into the circular economy. So it's, it's truly have been a partnership uh, with, with, with resin producers, with converters, like we just did with ITW, a high cone company. High cone is the, as the largest carrier rings um, in the world. And, and we mm-hmm. did an announcement. So now a hundred percent of the high cone carrier rings, which I think they're, I think they have more than 75% market share in the world. It's made with hundred percent of our post consumer, I'm sorry, oh, 55% with our material in it. Mm-hmm. So now you're, this is, this is what's going to be changing, right? That the pull through demand from the consumer brand owner, converter, recycler, resin producer. And it takes all of that supply chain to work together to solve this issue.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, it's a complex thing when you start to break it down. I, I wasn't aware of the, the kind of larger scale industrial implications until I started researching for this interview. So tell us, I mean, there's a few things that you said I'd love to kind of circle back to. One is you Wait. talked about the circular economy. So tell us what that means.
1: Well, if you think about the old way of thinking and the way manufacturing was done, you, pr- you produce a product, and when it didn't work anymore, end of life, you throw it away. That's exactly what's been done forever. Um, so circular economy is actually at the start or at the design of the polymer, right before it starts, you're thinking about what is gonna be able to be happen at the end of life. So circular economy is making products Thinner, smaller, use the least amount of resources, uh, make it last longer. And at the end of life, how do you put it back into the supply chain, back into a product that goes back into the consumer? And so that's a completely different way of thinking. And mm-hmm. um, if you think about it, that is the only way we're going to really make an impact in this environment because we're scaling people are, you know, the, you know, the population is growing um, wealth across middle class and, and and so on, developing countries are starting to develop more. That equals more packaging. So packaging is a good thing. It's, 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 it, it, you know, if you look at COVID, if the beginning of ground zero would have been covered with plastic, we wouldn't have this outbreaks, right? There's mm-hmm. a reason we package things up. There's a reason right. to value that. So there's it's just a matter of how do we capture it back and put it right in the right place and make a right product with it and so um that's really why it's so important
0: well in this high cone deal that you mentioned they and when you refer to carrier rings you mean those six pack rings that people that uh, manufacturers put around their cans for example of of beverages and i mean when you I started thinking about it in terms of, you know, the environmental impact further down the line and these um, issues of, you know, birds getting stuck in the rings and wouldn't it be better to produce more biodegradable um, products instead of reusing plastic And in terms of the balance? What what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, listen, it it all sounds great in theory and I think marketing is a wonderful thing, but the reality... <laughs> biodegradable products are actually contaminating the recycling streams. So anytime you, we, we add biodegradable products into a stream of recyclables, then you can not recycle, it becomes a contaminant. The other thing is, when we talk about biodegradable products, what exactly does that mean? Is how long is that, that gonna, how long is it gonna take to be biodegradable? So the answer is still a long time. Yeah, I was
0: shocked by the numbers. I it's 500 years for non-biodegradable plastic and 250 for biodegradable. So it's still it's going to be a while.
1: So 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 my point exactly that um, we're not going to be around. The next generations won't be around. Or do we capture and have a clean uh, stream that we can capture all the 500 years? make it into a product again and again and again and again and capture it. So if we make sure that it doesn't go to any rivers, any oceans and we capture it in front of the store, us consumers, we demand that, but are we living it as also? So I'm a consumer of products. I'm very obviously what I do for a living, but but I see it all around me. People that say they want to be green, but they're not willing to put, put it in the right bin. That is, mm-hmm. that is really where I have issues with, right? So sure. education, I think the next generation as children come up, the circular economy is part of what their language is. Uh, being green and conscious is what's happening. And the answer is there's a solution out there. And not only is a solution, is the awareness of what you're doing today is an awareness and tell, look, guys, there is a better way to do this and not only that, it's here today. We have the technology. We are making it. We have the strategic partners to do it. There's products going into it. Um, and anytime you go to the shelf, you're going to feel good about buying things and products that have environmentally sun, uh, sound and recycled content in it. That's it. It's really that simple.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for summarizing that so well. And um, I, I know that the the tagline of your company is, monetize recyclables and that obviously speaks to your customer base and um and it speaks to profit but how does how do you see the impact that your company has in terms of of how it's making the world better
1: well thank you for saying that really there's two really this is a purpose-driven company so the beauty is when any anybody that comes to work for us understands that there's a purpose, and our purpose is is how do we make sure that recycled content does not go to landfills, rivers, oceans. That's what we do. So our brand promise is very simple. We're going to lower waste costs and capture everything we possibly can to monetize it on the other side. Why do we say monetizing it? Why do we call it finding your hidden green assets? Because we all know if it's called cost and you call it waste, there's no value to that. And so we believe when there's a value to something, people are going to care about it more. We'll track it and figure out a way to monetize it in. because it's good for the environment, but it's also good for their pocketbooks. So the answer is why would you not do that? Mm-hmm. And then our second tagline that we have for it's for a PCR plan where we are actually processing is moving circular economy forward. And that means Really end alive, bringing brought it back in and bringing it back into uh, the supply chain that we talk about. So we have a technology, and, you know, we're, we're a recycling waste optimization company, and, and we use technology, artificial intelligence to drive that. So think about it. It's just gotten to a point that we, we, we are so ahead of the curve, the way we think about waste and recycling, that we're using, we created a... Simple way to describe it, the Fitbit for waste and recycling. We retrofit anybody's equipment or device or waste. And we, we use artificial intelligence to detect it. Let us know to our analytics center. We notify the stores or the distribution center. And we're changing culture. Say, well, all of a sudden you put cardboard, plastic, you know, metal, glass, things that should not be uh, in there. So we're educating them to pull that out. And so we help them with signage setting it all up and we operate that for them. So and, and at the end of the day, they, they get a bigger check and they get their GS, ESG scores are going up. So, you know, it's, it's a no brainer, really, to be honest with you. Well,
0: I was very struck by the languaging. you've mentioned that a couple of things um, already in terms of hidden green assets instead of calling it trash. And you also call your customers environmental partners. And
1: Absolutely.
0: I'm, I'm a writer, so I love a good use of language. And why, why are you choosing to go to all that uh, effort of trying to educate people? Because most folks will say environmental partners, that sounds like a, a, a collaboration of some kind, um, business to business. And yeah. I guess that's the way you, you, the way you see it.
1: This is the way I see it. I I believe in, in, in strategic partnerships. I believe that if you align yourself with your environmental partner, customer, a lot of people call them customer clients. To me, they're environmental partner because it's an ongoing process. You're not going to be able to fix everything day one, right? So we need to be a partner on how are you and what products you're going to be bringing into your um, your store or what you're going to use for, for for making your product and let us help you decide as part of the beginning of your life with your product. Let us be part of that and maybe we give you a better solution and it's a matter of just switching a polymer or maybe how to laminate it or an additive that might not be recyclable. Let us be part of that solution and let me tell you what's going to happen at the end of the that. And then at the end of the day, we all know Um, to be sustainable. Um, Sustainability is a wonderful word, but a lot of people forget one thing. Companies are for-profit businesses. And at the end, if you can make environmentally, you know, social responsibility, environmental responsibility, but then again, you make it economically profitable for them. Now you have the perfect trifecta and then a company should say, why are we not doing it? And so for us, we really believe we have to fix those three to truly give them that. And that's what we call it, finding your hitting green assets. Green from the environmental side, but green is, you're gonna make more money from it. We're gonna save you landfill costs. We're gonna put it back in circular economy and we're gonna pay you for the product. So why wouldn't you do it? That's, yeah. that's what we mean by that. Hmm.
0: And what was the third part
1: of the trifecta? Well, socially responsibility, right? So if you're yeah. looking at okay. cleaning up of your environment, carbon footprint, how far you're going to take products out. So we're very conscious about lowering our our, our carbon footprint. Um, Our plant was certified by by Franklin Associates says that it produces 75% less carbon footprint than virgin resin. So there's so much, there's a huge benefit of that by utilizing a product, right? So we're going to, you know, there's a lot of uh people that would say that the you know global warming is or isn't a problem i'm not going to take a position in that I, I think it's pretty simple to just just open our eyes but if you look at it um anytime we reduce carbon footprint why would we do it why would we want to take some product that was done environmentally friendly why would we as a customer um you know it comes to a cost issue a lot of times people think well the cost issue well the bigger and the more that we can scale, that becomes a non-issue, right? So size, like anything, the ability to produce something in a a large level, that's where we built the largest facility for post-consumer resin here in in, in North Houston. It's because of the scale, because of technology. Um, And you have to put the right capital involved to do that. And if you don't do that, you're not gonna be able to do the high grades and the brand owners, at the highest level, we'll never use your product. So that's, that's, that's the balance with, with recycling and trying to get to a very high level, high grade products. And we have just been very fortunate. We took a big gamble and it's worked out and paid for us.
0: Yeah. Well, and you're in a a commodity priced business. So scale is super important. Essential, in fact, um, for growth. So, um, I I heard you say in an interview, um, philanthropy is not good business practice. And I was that kind of stood out for me because you personally are involved in a number of philanthropic endeavors. And yep. your business obviously deals with the front end of recycling. Are you involved at all in what happens to plastics that are not recycled? What can be done about that? And, and what are your thoughts around those kinds of philanthropic endeavors?
1: Yeah, I think I mean let me maybe that was a, a, a I might have misspoke or a different deal. I I, I philanthropy is something I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. But what I meant by that is you cannot try to find a use your business to be a, a, a philanthropy uh, sure. company. Meaning yeah. is we have a foundation, the three foundations. So we, we as a company have our own foundation, so we fund that. But you have to be, be able to be profitable business to give away money. right? Right. So, and and, and with a purpose. So I think when I, what I I meant by that is uh, there's a lot of opportunities to be in a philanthropy side of things, but you can't sometimes uh, purpose-driven companies uh, that are funded by big organizations, they have a purpose for a specific thing and not making money. That's all great and dandy, but sadly, unfortunate when big organizations run out of capital they're not hitting their targets, the first thing they're going to cut out is philanthropy uh, uh, dollars. And what I meant by that is if we can create, this is not a philanthropy business, Mm -hmm. we can make it a profitable business for these large retailers, these large brands. Then once they make the money, they can be philanthropists, we can be philanthropists. So that's what I meant by that, because a hundred percent, I believe in Uh, There's a million great organizations out there. Um, We're currently working with several uh, uh, organizations that are really involved in Plastics in the Ocean. We are currently using ourselves, Plastics in the Ocean, in our formulations. Um, So we will always do that. We have a program that uh, old computers refurbish them, give them back to children that do not have uh, computers. And I call it giving kids the, the windows of the world. If you have access, um, you know, we have kids that went from having nothing to now they want to be doctors. So there, there there's so much you could do from a philanthropy side of things. Mm-hmm. I just look at that the world of recycling. And a lot of the companies looked at this as a, oh, we'll just donate whatever revenues. And, and it, it's a big number. So you start looking at pretty much everything you make and everything you buy will have some kind of packaging. And if you could do that. Um, manage them the right way and be profitable then you got a lot more options on philanthropy what you can do with it that's Absolutely. what I mean by
0: that. yeah yeah and I'm I'm I totally agree a business doesn't exist without profit and you can't be giving money away that you don't have so I, I mean I did understand what what you meant. That. yeah I mean it's it's uh, as a way of sustaining business it's not Going to serve that purpose. But once you have a profit, you can certainly do a lot of good, which sounds like um, you are doing through your foundation. So, absolutely. Yeah. So, what can even small companies do to affect things in terms of, of plastics usage and recycling? Because there are so many small businesses, but you're obviously dealing mostly with large businesses and the work that you do. But, do you have any thoughts?
1: Oh, absolutely. So here's this thing. If you look at small businesses, uh, most likely they'll be in a strip center, a mall, or some kind of a a building scenario, or even have their own standalone um, um, waste. And, And most companies will, what they consider waste. If you think about your supply chain, what you buy, look at it and say, well, all the products that i bought that i'm putting on the shelf to sell in my little store whether it's a jewelry store whether it's a store a clothing store whatever it may be it most likely came packaged and the answer is there's always a better way and a place to put it that you can one if there's not drop off centers or near you like around you uh that's one two most likely if you look at if you're a part of the mall or a shopping center you have to demand that there's a recycling operation, mm-hmm. um, and in most buildings, we talked to several, you know, uh, companies in the real estate business, and they want to start providing these kind of services. And in and, and it's it's an expectation to do that now. So as a conglomerate, as a group, as a mall, then those little ones become big enough for for for, for a company like us to would manage that. So. Mm-hmm. The other option is individually, right? There's, you know, you hear about these uh, curbside programs. Some people don't have curbside programs, but there's drop centers in most cities um, mm-hmm. and just doing the right thing and finding a way to get that done, right? And and lobby uh, for that. I mean, what I mean by that is just your HOAs, your Homeowners Association, and, 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 and ask that, hey, look, we, we want a recycling center. So if we all want the same thing, which is a better place to live for generations to come. Uh, and we believe that there, at the end of the day, <clears throat> there's a lot of benefit of packaging. I can tell you this, if, if we look at COVID, plastic wrapping, we would not have it. And, uh, you know, you could say a lot of things, but but I think also health um, awareness and health uh, issues that currently we're facing these epidemics, we need that. Now, the answer is we could isolate it. I mean, I don't know how many times you hear on, on TV and says, we got a similar in an outbreak. It came from this ranch. Here's the lettuce. Take it back. That can be controlled. Sure. And if we didn't, then it would have spread everywhere, right? So trackability and ability to do it. The good news is um, brand owners, packaging companies, I know how to make it You know, so much um, thinner, um, the ability to last food longer, and if you look at a, you know even the ca- uh, carbon footprint on spoiled food versus the carbon footprint of a small packaging that would allow that food to last longer—it's not even comparison. So I think awareness of really what the benefits are has created, um, but nobody talks about that. Which I'm mm-hmm. still very, you know, that's why I'm very passionate about talking about sustainability and and the benefits of packaging. Um, you know, everybody has their preference and, you know, and everybody has what they believe green means. All I know is uh, that if we put the right infrastructure and we bring it back in and make the product with it, then we all win. That's what I do know.
0: Yeah. Well, and you've, um, I mean, you're highlighting something really important. There's so much negative out there around plastics but at the same time they do serve an important purpose they're valuable for many things as you as you mentioned and so that's an important thing to remember as well and you mentioned the the pandemic so how has your business been affected by that I I know you'd planned three plastic film processing facilities this year to open how how has COVID affected things for you
1: well, absolutely. So COVID, you know, has sadly it's affected many, many, many people and many companies. So uh, we're definitely no, no different than anybody else. We, I mean, obviously as uh, consumers are not buying, going to retail. Um, they're not buying. So if they're not buying, there's no packaging getting generated, right? Um, you could say grocery stores have generated more because more people are buying. So different sectors have, have, um, have really scaled their packaging and, and incremental of recycling, and some have absolutely not. Now, saying that, we, when we pivoted and to, um, to build our, 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 our PCR, post-consumer resin facility, um, that, that has really changed the, our business significantly because that's really our, our focus. And now we're taking a, a commodity product that used to be now banned in China, banned in India, it was going to landfills, there was no value to it, and now we're making it into six-pack rings, uh, all kinds of products that are going into today that we can't disclose, but you will see down the road all these strategic plays that we're doing, but very high-end products, which at the end of the day, um, you will see on the shelves, so that's really has helped our company, and on top of that, uh, what part of our our, our, our our organization, we have a a a company that we've been in the safety equipment. So uh, we pivoted and we we sold um, and we were helping our customers where, where they couldn't find masks or gloves at the time, right when the epidemic came out, we Mm -hmm. were able to source that for them. So Mm -hmm. that was very helpful. So we, we pivoted and, and and still continue to to send uh, a lot of masks and, and gloves into our customers that they're required to provide safety for their employees and, um, you know, obviously for the whole supply chain too. Uh, it's been um, really interesting times. But again, you know, I think as a, as a business, you have to learn how to pivot. You have to make sure yeah. that it, you're doing the right thing. And, and we've been very fortunate on that.
0: Well, I love how you describe it as interesting times. And it always makes me think of that Chinese proverb me, you live in interesting times. And I think we <laughs> definitely qualify. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to explore a little bit about your. Um, how you came to this work and your leadership in it. I I read somewhere that you have a background in real estate, seismic data acquisitions, glove manufacturing, oil and gas. And I heard a story that you told in an interview about having been a waiter at the time that you opened your business. So how did you come through all of that and, and end up having a sustainability oriented business like Vanguard?
1: You know, I'll tell you so. Thank you for asking that question. So, th- to be honest, sometimes in life you have to, you know, God works in mysterious ways and guides you a certain direction. So, so I was going to, in high school. I, you know, I was playing sports. I thought that was going to be something that I was going to do. Um, you know, long story short, uh, at school I was uh, studying international business. Um, I was working as a waiter at back steakhouse selling a lot of blooming Onions and Margaritas, trying to win those <laughs> contests every week. Uh, and uh, actually my brother at the time had some friends in Mexico that, was, that worked at Coca-Cola and Pepsi. <clears throat> and back in the day, there were the deposit bottles. But if you remember, they were very thick. Mm-hmm. And, um, no matter how, how they would go over with, you know, even with, with any uh, trucks or, 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 you know, bulldozers, they would not break or, 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 you know, so the space that it would take in a landfill was awful. So, um, basically I, you know, I, I, I uh, they asked me, was there, do you think there's any opportunities to having all these bottles? Mm. I flew down to Mexico and I saw football fields full of this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, my father, at the time, uh, used before NAFTA was around. There was these uh, Thomas Register books, these big, huge green books at industry, and you would look to find a company. There was no Google, right? And I just got fortunate enough to start finding carpet manufacturers I said, "Hey, I have bottles." Well, what kind of bottles? And and they used to call them PET back then instead of PET bottles. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what really I was dealing with, but it turned out. It's polyester, and it was perfect for carpet. And and they started blending it with polycotton. And that's really how polycotton came around. Ah. And and we became the largest recycler of PET bottles um, as a private company. I think we became the fifth largest country of PET bottles in, in the world. And then we we built a plant called Pet Star that was built. And we sold that to, uh, to a Grupo Arca in Mexico, Coca Cola. Mm-hmm. And then we parallel to that, we, we decided that, uh, you know, the grocery stores and in manufacturers, retailers, they were inefficient in the way they managed the back of a store. You know, if you can think about it, most companies always know what the product they sell to the consumer, what goes where. But if you ask them, what is your total cost of waste and what's in that waste stream? I pretty much tell you C-level suite uh, personnel would never look at that. So, we thought well, there's an opportunity there. And that's really how the story came around. And, and we were able to scale it into a uh, 12, well, you know, we were originally in 14 countries, sold out of that. We're in 11 countries now, mm-hmm. primarily Canada, US, Mexico, Central America. Mm-hmm. So here we are.
0: Well, in the course of that, your leadership has obviously evolved, and I'm sure in business school that was a topic of learning, but how has that evolved for you over time? How have you consciously cultivated a a leadership style that works for you?
1: Well, first and foremost, you said it right, it's it's having the right people around you. Uh, I've been very fortunate, to that uh, people have believed in the strategy and the vision that I've, that I had for many, many years. And, and I have some senior level staff that have been with me and, and junior leaders that have been with me for over 20 something years. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what that does is, is, you know um, you know, sometimes <clears throat> pivoting and saying you're a recycling company. I come back the next day, guys, we're going to be a technology company creates a lot of uh, <laughs> this guy has lost his marbles, but. Uh, but the answer is you have to believe you have to be committed in my job as CEO. What I really, I created a great advisory board. I've had some of the best advisors that you could possibly get. Um, you know, ex CEOs of Anheuser-Busch Invev, ex CEO of waste companies, ex CEO of some of the, you know, best drilling companies. So when it comes to that, I, I, am always learning. I believe as a CEO, my job is continuing to learn. I, I do, I go to school every year. Um, still and uh because you could you can the day you stop learning is i think is the day you don't bring any more value to your organization mm-hmm. and the ability to pivot i think you have to continue to pivot and 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 learn that um, people that say well i did this for 30 years those days are gone uh, i always like to say i live i love to live in positive uh, you know paranoia so i'm always <laughs> thinking what could go wrong and how good but it's how do we make it better um, and I, I, I'm really very, very blessed to have the best team, I think, in in the industry by far.
0: Mm. Well, I was really struck by something you said, again, in an interview where you talked about your continuous learning, including both business aspects and technology. So I, I thought that was great that as a CEO, that you're still ha- getting the broad perspective. It's not just a business exercise. You really are learning about the cutting edge things on a technology basis as well
1: and absolutely and that's really to be honest i go to two different schools one is obviously business case studies the best of the best in class and you hear some amazing and i've learned a a lot of amazing things and then i go to another school and it's purely about the new technologies and you know larry page started it and so you have very the most of the, the most advanced so um, uh, you know, technologies and what's coming down. And the way is, how do you apply that to your business? And what I realized, you know, when people think about waste and recycling, you don't think about data analytics, artificial intelligence, you know, and everything that we do within our plant and within our optimization side of our business is through technology now. And so mm-hmm. in, in, in those days of old school thinking, for me personally, it's just you it's not a scalable business and and if you can't scale then you really can't be a good provider to a large scale companies mm-hmm. or you can you can't really make a big impact anywhere right there's absolutely nothing wrong with small businesses they pay a huge play but you just can't be you can't play in a, in, in in the big world of of monster companies brand owners to help them fix a problem mm.
0: yeah well you mentioned having good folks with you and for long, long periods, which are as increasingly unusual. And I think that really speaks to the culture. So my last question for you before we get to the rapid round is, how do you infuse a focus on environmental impact with within your culture? And maybe we can start with uh, how would you describe the culture at your company? And, and then how do you make sure that core aspect really gets infused?
1: well that's a great, great great question so number one i, I really th- do believe like i said part of that helps in our culture is you know that we' are a very purpose driven organization so when you come in you already have a purpose as a company um and second of all we are uh we believe our our our, our core values are fresh <clears throat> so find a way i mean it's find a way to win so the answer is you know it, it, there's always gonna be a better way to do things so we call that find find a way. Uh, the, the R is is for relationships, exterior and interior. So develop those relationships because at the end of the day, businesses we deal with people. People make the decisions internally and externally. You know, um, s is fresh is shoot it straight. We mean tell the truth. You know, we all make mistakes. So if you if you really Forgot to do a pickup of a waste, or you did forgot to get the right trucking, or, or you know, or I asked. I don't want to hear all oh, everything is great because that's not true. So it empowers our, our our colleagues to say, look, this is not working, and we believe this is a better opportunity. So, for to truly have a successful business, you have to have a collaboration company, and everybody has to say so. And that's how I integrate. So my job is to report down, not up. So I report down to my leadership team. They report down and so on and so on. So I believe in, in the top down approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have fun. So embrace change. Sorry for skipping embrace change. So you have to embrace change. We're always going to be changing, adopting new things. So if, if you come into this organization and and tomorrow, like I said, we're going to be doing PCR plans. We're going to adapt technology, we're gonna get out of this, processing, we're gonna do this every day. We're changing it constantly, so embrace change. We, we want people that say, you know what, Pr- change is good, and and at the very end, the last one is have fun. Um, mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time together, um, and I believe winners like to have fun. Um, it, there's no fun in not winning, and winning is, it, it's not necessarily, it's, it, it's absolutely not a monetary thing. Is Winning is that we find some green, hidden green assets, Did we do right by our environmental partner? Did we, what we call capture percentage rate? Did we increase what we captured versus going into landfills? So those are win for us. Mm -hmm. And that's what we always celebrate. And I'm a big believer. I do a a huddle every day with my leadership team and everybody else has their huddles. Um, The first thing, the first thing we talk about is victories. So celebrate the victories. You know, people have a tendency to go to work and the first thing you start talking about negative problems. So if there's something I learned in school and actually Francis Fry said this one is if you start with a negative comment, address an issue, you'll have a negative outcome. Um, start with a positive comment, address the issue, you'll have a positive outcome. Hmm. So, you know, simple little things like that. That's how you create a culture of, of people that hopefully um, are living it, breathing it, and you continue have to repeat Repeated and and then that adoption rate permeates throughout the organization.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I'd love to delve into that further, but I want to honor your time as well. But um, let's let's move to the rapid round if you're game to answer three questions about impact.
1: Let's do this.
0: All right. The first one is: What's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact?
1: Well, really identifying what that is. I think really for me, uh, impact without a purpose. So uh, impact is, 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 there's so many things when somebody says, well, we're going to create an impact. I don't know, understand what that means if I don't know what the target is. So mm-hmm. for us, our impact was we want to be the largest processor of flexible packaging in the world. And that's our, that's our, that's our impact that we want to do for the world today. Uh, And that's what we're going to be doing. And so everything that we go into is how do we address the hardest uh, packaging in the world and how do we take it to and make it profitable and a sustainable business? And that's what we call impact for us. We did it in the PTIP business. We pivoted. Now we're doing it in a flexible business. So that's for me uh, what impact means. Mm
0: -hmm. Great. Second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: Well, listen, uh, I, I, maybe, maybe my, my, my colleagues might not tell you that because they, they probably think that I don't listen as well, but I do <laughs> listen. Um, I, I believe that I'm listening to what's happening out in the market. I believe I'm listening to what um, the needs of the environmental um, side of our community is looking at. And listening to me is the number one thing, and thinking is the other side. Uh, one, I one my one of my my top advisors, um, Pierre Hard was a chairman, CEO, and Heiser Bush Invab. And fifteen years ago, he goes told me, Rick, do you realize what what your job? It's fifty percent of your time is thinking, and you know, I was like, what do you mean? I couldn't believe it because I have so many issues that I have to deal with all the time. Mm -hmm. But what I realized, if you don't think as a CEO and you're not really creating that vision and where the next step, then all you're looking down and tactical, if you're not looking in the horizon, what you're going to go, where you're going to go, you're going to fail. So that that to me has been listening and thinking, believe it or not, as simple as, as it sounds, it's the the most important thing, I think, job for a CEO.
0: Mm. Yeah. And and choosing those as priorities, it has to go into it. Or as you said, you get pulled into the tactical stuff. So, so easily. Correct. The third question is what's one piece of advice or an insight that you've had around um, making a contribution around having impact? What would you share with another business owner or CEO who's, asking themselves that question.
1: Let me just make sure I clarify that question. I impact on an a environmental side or just impact oh, overall?
0: Just impact in terms of what you see as important. So if you're thinking about how can I positively affect my own environment and the larger world, what would you, what advice would you give?
1: Well, I, first and foremost, never give up, right? I mean, if you're passionate about something is, as we know, businesses are very tough. Um, you know, so and sometimes we, we put it as an afterthought um, and, and we all look at, you know, especially in a small business, you have your priorities and it's selling a product or it's selling a service. And somewhere on that list, the top five environmental um, conscious or environmental uh, initiatives are not on there. So unless you write it on a piece of paper, make it part of your priority and part of your culture, it will never happen. And if you, but I will to say this for any business that no matter the size and the scale, it's amazing the savings and the opportunity to do the right thing and make money by focusing on that. It's free money, and people don't get it because when you buy something, you already paid for the packaging. Mm-hmm. By the time you recover and you're able to sell it, find a way to do that. That's hundred percent profit. Even if you don't sell it and you don't have that kind of scale, but you're able to pull it out of your waste stream, you just save money on putting it into the into the landfill. So it should be an initiative and it should be something that I believe that the adoption rate from your employees, it will make you a different type of employer mm-hmm. and with a purpose, with something that it should be part of your mission statement and your, your, you know, whatever uh, business you may be in, it it should be part of that, your goals now. Yeah. Something bigger than the product that you're producing. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Well, Rick, thank you so much for sharing your own experience, the way that you've built your business and uh, the way you're leading it. I, I really appreciate hearing your perspective as well on the environmental issues and how, um, Dealing with plastics and the whole waste stream can be uh, essentially a, a new form of revenue. So um, I really appreciate you sharing all that with us today.
1: No, I'd say they're on our slide. Thank you. And I appreciate being on your show.
0: So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Well, the best way, obviously, is our website. Uh is we're avant-garde innovative, but I haven't said that in a long time, actually, <laughs> avaicg.com. Okay. Um, and if you want to get directly in contact with me uh, through my assistant, Monica Sherman, that runs my life, uh, <laughs> it's 281-582-0796. Great.
0: Well, thank you for that. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Rick.
1: Well, we appreciate that. And thank you so much. And we're very passionate. And it's, it's, again, it's all about teamwork. Couldn't do it without the best team in the planet. So thanks, my staff. Mm. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.